You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome back into another edition of NFL University, the show where we try to educate you on all things across the National Football League. I am Steven Serta of Arrowhead Pride, happy as always to be joined by Kyle Posey of Niners Nation, as well as Justice Mosqueda of Acme Packing Co. Boys, there's a lot going on in the NFL this week. There's a lot of stuff that we got to get to. Hard Knocks was last night. I know we got to discuss that, but we want to open things up. Deshaun Watson was back at practice this week for the Houston Texans. Uh, GM Nick Casario said that He doesn't expect him to travel for the team's first preseason game this week. John McClain, longtime Houston Texans journalist, is just taking a hardline stance. Deshaun Watson will never play for the Houston Texans again. It's all super weird still. I have no idea what's going on or what they're doing or what the NFL is really doing with Deshaun Watson. I'm just trying to understand exactly what's going on here. Uh, Roger Goodell, you up. Like that's the text that needs to be sent. What is going on here? Step in. You are in charge. You are the boss. Make something happen. Either set him aside for good, let the Texans trade him, but just letting this status stay in limbo like this is not helping anybody, and it has to put the Texans in an even more awkward situation than they're already in. But uh, something has to change because it's August 11, and it's preseason. He's not going to be with the team, but he's out there practicing. Okay. Like what, how does that even make sense? What are we doing? It make, it makes no sense. And again, I think everyone, everyone kind of league wide knows what's happening right now. Like we kind of know what the deal is, you know what I mean? Where it's like the league either has to give Houston and whoever, whoever's going to trade for it. Right. Cause you, you can't trade for Deshaun Watson without clarity on the situation. So either the league needs to, make a decision essentially right um you know is he going to be able to play this season is he going to be put on the commissioner's exempt list or they need clarity from the legal system right i mean that's what everyone's waiting for um i think everyone's just in limbo right now trying to figure out okay exactly what's going to happen with the deshaun watson scenario and then that then dictates you know the trade i i I don't think he's going to play as a texan um, moving forward just because of, you know, how the approach that he took um, before the allegations. I, I know that seems like a long time ago now, um, but he very much, it seems like the whole Jack Esterby thing and like who's really in control in Houston, like seems to, uh, it, it bears roots. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so moving forward, like until Roger Goodell makes a clear statement on his situation or, the legal system runs its course like they're just in limbo and it's a very weird thing to watch when Deshaun Watson is practicing and you know before the pads came on he was working as a scout team safety but now he's not making 
the trip to Green Bay and even in practice, he's getting like QB three reps. And the worst thing for Houston would be, you know, Watson gets hurt, you know, on their time, which is why they're protecting him. Again, the RG3 thing, if you go back and read about his last year in Washington where he had injury guarantees and Washington was basically holding RG3 but didn't actually think that he was going to be their starting quarterback again, the, the games you have to play to make sure that that guy doesn't get hurt on your time so you don't have to pay him for that, um, it just becomes another obstacle. There's just so many obstacles on the field for Houston. It's really weird to see, you know, outside looking in. It does feel like we could definitively say that, like, yeah, he, I don't think he is going to be the Houston Texans quarterback in the near future. And think back to, like, when the offseason started and how different all of this was playing out. Deshaun Watson, once out of Houston, superstar, top five caliber NFL quarterback trying to force his way out of a franchise that seems like it's kind of disintegrating before our eyes. And now all of the off the field stuff, all of the legal matters that he's dealing with, and now he seems like an untouchable NFL player, but they're still navigating this in such a strange way where the NFL just has refused to step in and do anything about it. And so the Texans already a poorly run organization who seem like they're making bad decisions left and right and don't really know the future of their franchise. They're kind of tiptoeing like, well, we don't want him to get hurt. We don't want to pay him money. We're trying to get rid of him, but nobody wants him. Like I, it's just an unprecedented situation where you literally can't offload this superstar quarterback because nobody knows what the future holds. What do you think is going to change? Like, what is going to happen here? Do you think we're going to get to week one and we're still going to be talking about will Deshaun Watson be a Texans quarterback or like, like what's going to happen? Because I don't understand. And it doesn't seem like anything's changing anytime soon. I think that's the biggest issue. I think. So this is a. Wider perspective, right? The NFL basically killed the ability for players to traditionally hold out with the last CBA. We have not seen a holdout period. In Which is the only reason he's at practice right now. Right. Exactly. Because if not, he would be fined $50,000 a day. The interesting thing is let's look at Seattle. Cause there's a guy in Seattle who's basically having a holdout while being present in camp and just like sitting on the sideline. That's Jamal Adams. So are we going to see a situation where Deshaun Watson is basically just sitting on the sideline in Houston in practice because one, he doesn't want to play for the Texans. That's been pretty uh, apparent. Two, I think it's hard to imagine that the Texans, considering everything that has happened in the last year. I mean, you got to remember, we're only a couple months removed from people like tweeting out the videos of J.J. Watt turning to, to Deshaun Watson and saying, you know, I apologize for wasting one of our years. You know what I mean? Like, this has been a mess. Like, a ton of things have happened in Houston in the last, like, six months. Um, so are we heading for a situation where Deshaun, as he sees, cause if the league isn't going to step in, then the only clarity we're going to get is from the legal system, right? So the clarity from the legal system for a team willing to trade for him, right. Which is like what Philadelphia is waiting for, et cetera. Um, could we be heading for a situation where Watson is a part of the team? He's not even making game day active rosters because he's still in, you know, basically viewed it as, as an asset for Houston. They don't want to get him hurt. Right. Um, but he also isn't going to play for the team. And and there's almost because of what Jamal Adams is doing. Right. There's wiggle room there where we could see the potential for that happening. We're like, 
you know, coming into the offseason, I, I wouldn't have necessarily thought that that was a possibility. Uh, and I was going to say that too. Yeah, I see a scenario where he's just not going to be suited up on Sundays, in my opinion. Like they're, you know, they're just kind of going through the motions right now. I think they're operating as if he is just not going to be an available player to them. And he's probably just not going to suit up, but they don't have any trade leverage with him. Like, you know, the the huge trade packages you would have thought that he was going to get before, they're probably not getting those now. And if NFL GMs are still calling about him, they're trying to get whatever discount they can to see if the Texans will just offload him. So as far as their franchise's future, it's probably in their best interest to just say, okay, if the NFL is not going to step in, we're just going to hang on to him this season. We're just going to have him ride the bench the entire year and basically suspend him for the whole season while all this stuff plays out and then headed into next offseason. We can take another look at it, trying to trade him and see what we can get for him once teams have more clarity on what's happening with him. So they're basically going to punt 2021. This is what you're saying. How much do you think that they are kicking themselves for not unloading Watson sooner? And obviously, there's no way that they would have known that the scenario would have turned out like it did. But to punt an entire season, because that's what you're doing when you enter um, a year with Tyrod Taylor as your starting quarterback in the year of our Lord 2021. Like that is a problem. Let's not pretend it's not. But man, like it would be tough for Houston to butcher this situation any worse than they have done. But again, we're talking about the Texans, man. Justice brought up everything that they've done. Uh, Remember all the videos about Jack Easterby? Like he was the worst human on the planet for like two months in a row. And now nobody talks about him at all, man. Just uh, this organization. I mean, did you guys see the uh, Randall Cobb press conference when he came back? (laughs) Where they were like, yeah, out of jail. Yeah, he's he's like, yeah, the guys here said that I looked like I was out of prison. And he was like, well... (laughs) And then he was like, but that's not a shot at the Houston Texans. It's a little bit <laughs> yes, of a shot realize. at the Houston Texans. Let's let's be honest yeah. here, Randall. You know what you were um, doing there, Randall. Yeah. It, it's just a weird situation. And really, if you – nothing – no part of it makes sense unless you think of Deshaun Watson as an asset for the Houston Texans in a trade capacity, right? Like, that's the key piece. That's what's making everything go. That's something – you can't lose perspective on whether you think, you know, the salary cap is bad. Players should be making more. They should have freedom to, to change teams, et cetera. Like what it really comes down to is in the current structure of the league, Deshaun Watson is an asset, right? Teams are teams want clarity on the asset before they trade for him. Houston can't move him until then. That's really what's happening right now. Oh, and it, yes, it is punting on their season, but like they were going to be a bad football team. Anyways, even with Deshaun Watson, like they're still, you know, Deshaun is such a special player that that with that roster, which I think is one of the worst in the NFL, like they could still get, you know, like six wins or whatever, because Deshaun's so incredible. But without him, I think you're talking about like a one or a two win football team. And, you know, maybe you're just playing for that top pick in the draft next year to go get another franchise quarterback and then move Watson for whatever you can. That that feels like. That's kind of what's playing out in Houston right now. And and I do think that they're continuing to be one of the worst run organizations in football. But uh, shifting focus here a little bit, uh, Saints wide receiver Michael Thomas, who had a significant injury last year, uh, you know, ha- had a down year because he missed several games because of it. Um, apparently ghosted the Saints for three months, just refused to return their phone calls, 
was not responding to anybody in the organization, any of their top doctors, medical professionals and stuff like that. And it seems like this thing is destined to end poorly between the Saints and Michael Thomas. It does not sound like they like each other very much right now. And we saw that kind of start to unfold last season. There was even a week, I believe, where he was just kind of booted from practice for getting in a fight. Although I think that's Chauncey Gardner Johnson. It seems like he just fights with a lot of people. So I don't know how much that was on Michael Thomas, but there's issues in the Saints organization right now. And it doesn't seem like Michael Thomas is going to be with New Orleans for much longer. Yeah, it's been a lot of he said, she said. It's been a lot of pointing fingers. Um, there are prima donnas, there are divas, and then there is Michael Thomas. And he cannot, it just doesn't seem like he's interested in, you know, taking the blame. And obviously, I don't know the entire situation and nobody really knows what's going on. But what again, as was the case with uh, Deshaun Watson, what is going to change here? Like, what makes you think Michael Thomas is going to move off his uh, stance? Because people will call him out for whatever his likes are, whether it's uh, people defending him or whatever he may be. But Man, he uh, <laughs> I'm not going to say he's tough to root for because this these type of things pop up all the freaking time. But man, like at some point, something has to change with him, too. What do you what do you think, Justin? Are we going to see Michael Thomas on the field sooner than later? Or is this going to last into the season? I mean, I, I think to a certain extent in situations like this, like you kind of have to take into account like where the team is. Right. Like if New Orleans was contending for a ring, Drew Brees was still in the building. I, I think their approach might be a little different. But in the situation that they're in right now, I mean, dudes are dropping like flies in New Orleans right now. Like, they're defensive. Like, people tweeting out their practice stuff, and they're like, yeah, they're bringing in, like, free agents off the street, and they're, like, getting reps at, at DB with the first-team defense right now. It's it's not a good look. But the, the most interesting thing, I think, was you already talked about uh, Michael Thomas likes, right? Uh, Jordan Schultz tweeted out um, – you know, Michael Thomas got hurt during week one garbage time when the Saints should have been protecting their investment. The medical staff then cleared him several times during the regular season and agreed to hold off on injury. So Thomas waited to have surgery, and yet he's at fault? <laughs> Michael Thomas liked that tweet. Yeah. So, like, that's interesting perspective, right? We, we talked about last episode, you know, you know, players care about their bodies, and they are very defensive about that. And sometimes they don't trust team medical staff. And so because of – they, they've cleared them to do things that they were not comfortable with. You know what I mean? And they ultimately think it was a bad decision, right? So, like, understanding that part of it can help explain a lot of these things. Because there's a reason why players get second opinions. You know what I mean? Like, that's not an uncommon thing in the NFL. There is kind of like a the, the team medical staff works for the team type of perspective, you know, out there. I mean, Tyrod Taylor got his lung punctured by a team right. doctor last season. Like, there's there's reasons not to trust the in-house medical professionals all the way for the team because they're being paid by the team. In general, they are they are looking at things from the perspective of what's in the team's best interest. I also think Michael Thomas just has not been the same since Carlton Davis called him slant boy. Like I, I think that that was when it started to unravel. Like that was one of the most disrespectful things I've ever seen an NFL player do on Twitter. And I think that's when it all really started to go downhill for Michael Thomas. I still think he's a special player, but you know, he had the ankle surgery. He's probably going to be out week one. I, I'm just curious to see where this goes for him because a couple of years ago we were talking about him. Like he was, 
you know, a top three wide receiver in the NFL. And now we're over a year removed from that. And he might be on a different team the next time we actually see him play. I mean, how much of this is just as Justice was talking about Michael Thomas, understanding the situation, understanding that the Saints aren't going to be very good. And who knows, like maybe they are, maybe they will be because all the evidence points that they will be based on their history, but a lot has changed with that roster. And this is not going to be your yesteryear Saints that we remember winning double digit games. So perhaps this is just Michael Thomas recognizing, Hey, they're not going to be very good. I'm going to protect myself this time around and not let the team control that, which is how we got into this situation. I mean, the other thing too, is you have to remember like Drew Brees is still counting against their cap. Yes. You know what I mean? Like they're down. Let me look at how much dead money that they have this year. It's like 28 and a half million basically in dead money. So think of like a constrained, you know, the salary cap has already dropped because of the COVID rules, right? They, we, we had to change around how the money was allocated so that teams basically didn't run with like practice squad players last season. Right. So that money was stolen from, or not stolen, but borrowed from, you know, 2021 to then pay for the 2020 uh, salary cap. So we're already working with a constrained salary cap. And then beyond that, you know, basically $30 million of it is being used on players who are no longer in the building. Yeah, That's the situation. Five million in right dead now. cap. I just looked it up. That is yeah. wild. Um, it's yeah, it's not good. I mean, this was kind of like the planned reset year. You know what I mean? And then I think the saints kind of got the inkling that like, Hey, we might be able to compete more than we thought you know, even in, in this type of situation with, you know, Jameis isn't making crazy money. Uh, Taysom Hill, if you Google his contract, it looks really big, but it's all fake money, fake years. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there there's just a lot of moving parts. The NFL is becoming very interesting because the way front offices have kind of approached the league since the COVID changes to the salary cap is very interesting with like the dead years and stuff like that. And you can borrow from the future. Now they've figured out those mechanisms and it's just being widely used. We've seen in two off seasons now. I don't think it's going away. And yeah, it's, it's an interesting situation and the saints were one of those teams that was like, they head into an off season where it's like they got a hundred bucks in cap space or something. And then they keep giving extensions and moving money around and it, and, and it got super complicated. So they've got a lot of things to figure out there with Michael Thomas. Uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. Interested to see what happens uh, as we inch ever closer to the start of the NFL season. But uh, we already talked about one poorly run AFC South team and going to take a look at another one that maybe is on the rise. The Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, new head coach, Urban Meyer, obviously new starting quarterback, number one overall pick, Trevor Lawrence. But if you ask Urban Meyer, Trevor Lawrence is not locked in as the Jaguars starting quarterback. Quote, we haven't made that decision. CJ Beathard, baby, here we come, QB1. Where is he <laughs> Beathard in Jacksonville? <laughs> I didn't even know that. Uh, he yeah. is. He it's, is. Uh, it's Gardner Minshew, and it's CJ Beathard competing for that QB one spot and not the Trevor Lawrence who every team has wanted since he, you know, since the national championship in his freshman year. Uh, Like, what are we doing here, Urban? You've been lying to us. We're already on to you. It's only two months in uh, to you having a job and you've messed up 27 times already. Uh, We've figured you out, sir. It's going to be bad. Urban's going to be bad in the NFL, right? Like, Like, I don't, it, 
it just feels like it's already unraveling. Like he has no idea what he was doing on draft day. He's calling other general managers and coaches and stuff and being like, Hey, we really like this guy. Who do you guys like? Who are you going to pick? Like, like as if that's how it works in the NFL, urban's got to have somebody closer to him who can be like, man, that's not how we do it. Like somebody has got to be like urban. You got to get, you got to get a consultant in here to tell you how to operate in the NFL. Cause it does not seem like he does what he's doing. Well, that's what Balky is supposed to be, right? I mean, that's that's the whole thing. That's why you pair a guy like that with, you know, a veteran general manager who has experience because Urban is coming from the college game, like from a networking, scheduling, like how you like your word, your worldview, right? Like those are different perspectives. Um, I'm, I don't believe Urban that, like, dude, Trevor Lawrence is going to start week one. Like, what are we talking about here? But. I'm not surprised he's trying to do like the hardo compete. I mean, he just signed Tim Tebow, (laughs) you know, like I'm not surprised that this guy is like, yeah, we're competing until the moment we kick off on week one. Like that, that doesn't surprise me. Um, One interesting thing about Jacksonville I saw, you see who's running with the ones at wide receiver in Jacksonville right now. Uh, No, who is it? Laquan Treadwell. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Power slot, Laquan Treadwell running with the ones. Wow. I don't know what to make of that, but it was just an interesting thing that I saw and I can't get out of my brain. So like over, so they've got LaVisca Chenault, DJ Chark. They signed Marvin Jones as well. And so should be good with Trevor Lawrence. Like he should be a good parent for Trevor Lawrence. But But uh, like you think Laquan Treadwell is the exact opposite of that. (laughs) So I mean, everybody's hyping LaVisca, and I'm excited to see what I think he can be a really good player. DJ Chark has shown that he can be a, a top upper echelon type of wide receiver in the NFL when he's healthy. And Marvin Jones has been productive his entire career. So I don't know. Maybe Laquan Treadwell's in the best shape of his life. I haven't been locked into Jaguars training camp. It is August, so everybody is in the best shape of their lives. Um so we didn't talk about this and I, I kind of want to move on from Jack. I mean, just Trevor Lawrence, but Zach Wilson has been struggling mightily based on every camp report ever. How much should we worry about this? Is it a real thing? Because leading up to the draft, most people um, that you would think have a comfortable background of watching football, watching the sport had questions about Zach Wilson. And I feel like all of those were fair we're starting to see those unravel during training camp. It just looks like he's not confident. He's not playing fast and he's just making poor decisions. That's kind of what happens when you play seven on seven for a year in college football. But now uh, like what's going to happen? Should we worry about Zach Wilson? Is this just a preseason thing? Because you have to remember the jets, like they're not a talented offense and even their wide receiver from last year that they took early Denzel Mims is supposedly on the quote unquote roster bubble. So who knows what's going on in, in Jets land and poor Robert Solomon. He deserves better than this. Mims is running with the threes and practice yeah. <laughs> right now. Um, I just saw a thing where he said, Mims said that he lost 20 pounds with food poisoning. Oh man. Which is, that's bad. I wow. I can't imagine losing 20 pounds with food poisoning. That's, that that's sounds awful. I've had food poisoning before, but I didn't lose 20 pounds. That sounds like right. it's a pretty bad <laughs> right. case of food poisoning. Um, but yeah, I I was never sold on Zach Wilson. Like I was always Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields were like one and two for me. I think Justin Fields is going to be an absolute superstar at the NFL level. 
But you could tell early on in the draft process that Zach Wilson was going to be the second quarterback taken off the off the board because everybody fell in love with the arm and the uh, off schedule throws and stuff because of like the Patrick Mahomes comparisons. And that's what's going to get guys drafted now. I was never super confident in him translating to the NFL that way. And, you know, Mahomes had the year to sit. He's got Andy Reid and, and all of that stuff played into his favor coming into the league as he was adapting to the NFL game. I've never been sold on Zach Wilson, and I'm not super confident in the Jets building around him either, but they're at least putting resources around him. And so I'm not going to I'm not going to jump to conclusions and assume that he's going to be a terrible NFL quarterback. But out of any of the top guys that we were talking about around draft time, he was one of my least favorite. Like I, I loved Trey Lance over Zach Wilson personally. Well, I mean, so wonder- think about what, what's winning in the NFL at quarterback lately. Guys who have elite tools. And that those are not things that Zach Wilson's Zach Wilson possesses. And that's not really a dig at him. That just is what it is. So talking about Trey Lance, talking about Justin Fields, these guys have rocket arms. They can run, but they're actually good in the pocket and playing from the pocket as well. Uh, go back to like Josh Allen and uh, Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, obviously, or those are extreme examples. But all of those guys have tools. And yes, it takes more than tools to win from the pocket or just succeed at the NFL level. But yeah, there's a lot to be desired uh, when it comes to Zach Wilson and you know some of the things that he brings to the table at quarterback. The interesting thing about Zach Wilson, right, is if you're looking at his positives, it's mobility and his creativity when he's on the move, right? Um, that got leaned into in his scheme in, at BYU. College teams don't have the ability to run a bunch of different stuff, especially in the run game. Um, BYU, what they were able to do is they were able to run stretch and then run boot off of that. Um, we've seen that work in the NFL. We've seen that work yeah. with Rams, right, with McVay. We've seen that work with Shanahan. He's certainly more creative than just running boot and stretch, but he certainly does it a lot. Um, LaFleur. Um, LaFleur actually tried to hire his brother, Mike LaFleur, as the offensive coordinator when he took over in Green Bay, and the Niners wouldn't let him out of the contract because the Niners only have to – allow a guy out of a contract if uh, they're interviewed for a head coaching job, which like offensive coordinator simply isn't. So Matt LaFleur couldn't hire Mike LaFleur as offensive coordinator. Um, Mike LaFleur, now offensive coordinator of the New York Jets uh-huh. under Robert Salah, who, you know, Matt LaFleur was like his best man in his wedding or something like that. So you would think that they would be running the same type of scheme that also helped Zach Wilson showcase his talent at the college level, right? Showcase his tools. Um, look efficient with his tools so when he's struggling again one I don't I don't really trust other people's eyes especially like beat reporters just because that's not what you're trained in like that's literally like not what you're trained in so I just don't expect it out of guys but the fact that Zach Wilson seemingly found like a good spot like if you're looking for a home for Zach Wilson this is pretty close like outside of like offensive skill talent right just talking talking about structurally this is a nice home for him. So the fact that he's not seemingly doing anything in practice in a nice home, I think is a cause for concern. I would just like to see it with my own eyes. I'm hoping next week I can go see uh, the joint training camp the Jets and Packers are going to have. So hopefully I'll be able to get eyes on that, you know, by myself. Um, But it definitely is weird. And I do wonder, like, you know, Zach Wilson, he had the holdout that went into – or not not a holdout, but a contract dispute that that went you know late into the offseason. 
Um, I think it was about like offset language or something, which like, yeah. Um, agents will care about that. If you guys are wondering, like that isn't out of the ordinary. Um, but I wonder how that impacted his preparation for this over the off season. Like, was he taking all those snaps in, in camp? I guess, you know, I could probably Google that, but I'm not going to do it while we're live on a podcast. Um, that would be something that I'd be interested in knowing because if, if that's the issue, I would have less cause of concern. If he was there every day and he's still looking like this and nice home, that's when I'm like, I need to, like, we might be able to make a call on him in the preseason of like, at least what we're getting in 2021. I think there's no question that we'll be able to know what we're getting from Wilson. And so you talk about the contract. So a lot of guys, they hold out that Trey Lance had something similar where they just want their signing bonus within the first two weeks, because that's what most rookie quarterbacks are getting. Um, I do wonder uh, about that though, because like if he wasn't there, they, or if he was there and he is struggling, then that is a problem. But at the same time, like they have OTAs. He had plenty, like 40 days pretty much off of, you know, having time to study the playbook, know what's coming. And I know what offense he's running and they're not running some complex offense right now. And I say complex based on relative to the NFL. So um, they're running like play action, stretch, overs, very, very simple stuff um, early in the season. So Again, I do think you brought up a good point of being able to see it with your own eyes because, I mean, I, just at 49ers camp, people will see what they want to see. So if they don't like Zach right. Wilson, uh, they're just going to talk down on him. So if, if the beat writers wanted the team to take Justin Fields or Trey Lance or anybody else, uh, then they're probably going to dog on Zach Wilson. So I think that's a fair point to point out as well. And it just – it takes time to translate. Like, sure. it's the Chiefs – have been having some pretty bad offensive practices in training camp and people are freaking out about it. Patrick Mahomes had like a three interception day and a four interception day, but it's like, it's also practice. Like it's the opportunity for you to experiment for you to say, well, you know, I was afraid to pull the trigger on this throw in a game last year. Let me do it in practice and see what happens. And if you complete the pass, maybe you're more confident to try that in a game where you have the smaller windows because it's sped up so much. Or you throw a pick and you learn, okay, well, I can't do that in a regular season NFL game. Like, that's what practice is for. So I never read that much into it. It's just we got we got to see him in action. We we got to see what he can do, because I do think that he's a talented player. He just wasn't my favorite quarterback of this class necessarily. But he's got plenty of skill and plenty of talent and new coaching staff who I who I, I think that they've got good guys in place for the Jets and they've got a decent offensive line. So that should help him as a rookie quarterback. And I think another thing that's important, too. You talk about like experimenting. It's important to understand where these teams are in terms of like offensive install too. So like when you, I, I've seen Chiefs clips where they're running wheel routes with the, or not wheel routes, corner routes with the running back, like stuff that like LSU ran, you know what I mean? And then you look at the run game and they're running like GT rap, which is like Oklahoma's run game and stuff like that, where you can tell Kansas city is trying to figure out things right now so that they can bring it into the season and they're like here's a new thing that you have to deal with also with Patrick Mahomes also with Travis Kelsey also with Tyreek Hill where the New York Jets right now like they're just trying to build the foundation of their franchise you know what I mean so I I do think yeah I I really do think the overreaction stuff with with the Chiefs it it is what it is it's an overreaction 
But with the Jets, they're in a very different spot. They're doing very different things than the Chiefs are right now. Yeah. When when you've got a franchise quarterback who understands your offense and who is in sync with your play caller the way that Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid are, it makes it a lot easier to play around and to, yeah, add that extra stuff and those new looks, those things that teams have never seen on film before, at least like in the NFL and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I think they'll get it figured out and we'll kind of see how it goes. Uh, but we were just talking about Zach Wilson's holdout and his contract extension. Another quarterback, Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills, signed a massive six-year extension worth $253 million with $150 million guaranteed. It's a massive extension, uh, and not quite as big as Patrick Mahomes, but it's the biggest commitment any other team has made to a quarterback since Patrick Mahomes signed that contract with the Kansas City Chief, with the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, what do you guys think that means for guys like Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield who are still looking to get that second deal? I think Lamar is going to get paid. Just, I mean, he has an MVP under his belt. He's still progressing, obviously, uh, despite what Twitter will tell you. Uh, he's going to get paid no matter what. What I want to know is, does Baker is Baker a forty million dollar man? Like that's the big question because he could sink that franchise, and that sounds extreme, but I think he's a fine player. I don't think he is as good as some think. At the same time, what happens if hypothetically? Cleveland, we expect to be very good because they're loaded on both sides of the ball. Uh, they're good in the trenches on both sides of the ball. They have skill players. They're fast. And they added speed on defense for Joe Woods. So they're probably going to win double-digit games. With team success, probably means a quarterback is going to get paid. So I think that's where they're going to kind of have to decipher how much of this is due to Baker and how much is this due to us surrounding him with every freaking piece possible because uh, probably one of the best duos at receiver, probably the best running back probably the best offensive line with um, a top seven ish defense at the worst. So uh, I don't, I don't envy their decision. I don't know what they're going to do with Baker. And that's, that's pretty interesting to me. Yeah, I think what, okay. So this is the big thing with the Josh Allen extension. Do you envision, like, is it in the realm of possibility that we've already seen the best out of Josh Allen? Yes or no? I think so. Yeah. Easily possible. I, I think that's fair. This is where the conversation goes to Baker, right? Do you think last year's Bills is the best version of the Bills that we can see under Josh Allen? Yes. See, I'm not sure because I still think, you know, there's a level of volatility to Josh Allen's game. I don't think we necessarily know, like, who he consistently is going to be year in, year out. But I do think that with his upside, there's enough potential there in Buffalo where – they could build something that was better than what they had last year, right? If you pay Baker, I don't think that that's true in in Cleveland. Like he's already there's been so much talent pumped into there. Like you're only gonna get first contract Miles Garrett in so many ways. Like that's gonna be tough. There's only so many ways you can get OBJ mad from New York, you know, on a trade into your room. Like I understand he was hurt, but um. There's only so many ways to gain assets and the Browns, you know, they built up assets over years. I, I think people kind of forget that a little bit. They're like, Hey, all those like Sashi died for this stuff. Like th- that money was spent. You know what I mean? Those assets were spent. Those draft picks were spent and this was the product of it. And if you end up paying Baker, I just think it's very hard for a player of his caliber to really bring more to the table than like what Derek Carr brings to the Raiders. 
Like, I think that's a pretty similar conversation to me. And, you know, maybe I'm way off. Maybe Baker takes a huge stride. I like Baker more coming out of college than I do right now. Um, but I think that that's kind of where the conversation is. Lamar is going to get paid, period. Like, that's not even a question. Baker is the real question, I think. So with Baker, who is he elevated around him? Who is he made better? When you watch Cleveland, do you think, you know, in a two-minute drive, for example, oh, he's really going to, you know, you can count on Baker to do this. Like, it doesn't ever seem like that. It seems like he's a benefit or he's just being a beneficiary of what Cleveland does on offense, whether that's uh, Stefanski getting guys wide open on the play action passes that Cleveland relies on, or just, you know, second down, uh, it's second and two because Chubb ran for eight yards. So that's the, that's the, uh, the big difference or the big issue that I have when I watch Baker. And I don't know that he's going to get much better than he already is. It seems like he's been this guy since Oklahoma, a guy who's surrounded by five-star talent everywhere. So he's getting propped up and, it sounds like it's a dig at him, but that just kind of is what it is at this point, isn't it? Yeah, he's a starting NFL quarterback. Like, let's yeah. be very clear about that. Like, he's one of the best 32 quarterbacks on the planet right now. Sure. The uh, question is, like, can he be more than a cog in the machine? Because we've seen these offenses build the cog in, in a machine, and you're looking and you're like, wow, we really gave Kirk Cousins that? Wow, we really gave Jimmy Garoppolo that? Wow, we really gave Jared Goff that? You know what I mean? Like, that buyer's remorse eventually does come when you're paying a cog in the machine like he's what's making the machine going instead of just a part of it you know what I mean and and that's where the Baker thing goes because I do think like Josh Allen makes Buffalo go Lamar Jackson makes Baltimore go right I don't think Baker makes Cleveland go and that's where you have to sit down look in the mirror and start asking real questions about like how do we move this forward and the other thing, too, is like, do I expect the Browns to pay Baker? Yeah, I do. You know why? Because the guys who make those decisions are, you know, ownership, executives, and uh, general managers and coaches. And you know what? For sure. There's only 32 of those jobs in the league, and everyone is trying to entrench their job security. So, like, let's not rock this ship. If we give him an extension, right, that gives us an extension. We get four more years. And to a certain extent, I think that's kind of how things get done. Yeah, I think that Lamar absolutely deserves to get paid. Like we we've seen that Lamar at his best is one of the most athletically gifted players in the NFL. Like you pay guys like that because and I understand the concern for like mobile quarterbacks and stuff like that. Lamar doesn't really take hits either. Like Lamar has managed to stay healthy and he has managed to be an impact player since he came into the NFL. Baker's just kind of been a dude. Like, I don't think that Baker's better than Kirk Cousins right now. Like, maybe he can be better than Kirk Cousins because I do agree that the Browns have a top five offensive line. I think they're going to have a top 10 defense this year. I think they're loaded with talent. They have one of the most talented rosters top to bottom in the league. And I think that's going to elevate Baker Mayfield to the point where I think the Browns are going to be legitimate AFC contenders this season. But all of that being said, they're not going to be AFC contenders because Baker Mayfield's putting them over the top. I just think that they need Baker not to sink them. And that's that's the difference between the good, the really good quarterbacks and the guys that are, like you mentioned, Derek Carr. Like, I think he's in that Derek Carr class right now. I think that's a perfect example. Well, those type of quarterbacks, they get exposed in the playoffs or when they go against elite defenses or elite pass rushes. And 
we saw what happened when the Browns played the Steelers last year, man. Like Baker was spooked and that doesn't really change in the playoffs. So I agree with Justice. I think he's going to get paid. And I think a large part of that is just the coaches. Like how does he interact in meetings? That, that That's what the coaches are going to gravitate towards. Like how is he as a practice player? How is he with his teammates? Is he a quote unquote leader? Is he somebody that you want to give the keys to the offense for? And if that those are all true, uh, coaches are going to like the guy, man. And uh, they're not looking at it as we are. They're they're probably not looking at it as um, a, li- a guy who is limited or a guy who doesn't have the type of ceiling as a Josh Allen. And I know that's an extreme ceiling, but uh, those are the things that are being factored in. So, um, and and I don't know if it's they don't look at it that way. I think they know, but I think they also know like we know what this is. Like right. we know how the NFL operates. We know how ownership works. We know everyone can either get an extension or a raise once Baker signs, right? That's when everyone's going to want to redo their deal before the money starts kicking in. And we're like, Hey, we're five and 11. Do we actually want to extend our offensive coordinator? Right? Like that, that's the stuff that happens. I think. Like who, who is Cleveland going to find better than Baker Mayfield too? And that's another big part of it. Like in their minds, they know that they have gone to the AFC championship uh, with Baker. So are they going to be able to upgrade from that? Go get Marcus Mariota, I guess. That's, hey, that's the, our guy. Let's that's, get our that's guy. That's the job. move, right? That's the move <laughs> next offseason. Uh, before we take a quick timeout, uh, we got to slide this in real quick. The NFL announced yesterday it will enforce stricter penalties for taunting this season. They cut up a whole video and everything and sent it out. For some reason, they allowed it to be spread on social media so we could all make fun of it because the NFL hates fun one of the worst things to ever happen. Uh, What are we doing here? Why in the world would you not let a player celebrate? The videos that they cut up, uh, like the the receiver flexing or spinning the freaking ball. Come on, man. That video Uh, of Paris Campbell flexing was like (laughs) the game and a half that he played last season before he got hurt. (laughs) Right. Um, I don't know what they expect players to do. If you have ever been on a sideline at any level, you have never heard a player be like, hey, ref, he's taunting me. Like, nobody does that because they're doing the same thing back. Coaches, they're on the sideline talking trash too. So I, I just don't understand where this is coming from. This is probably the dinosaurs in the in the league, and it's time to get those guys out uh, and let the players have some fun, man, because the way that the rules are gravitating toward anyway, it's tough. It's just getting tougher and tougher for guys to express themselves, I guess is the easiest way to put it, but uh, this is not helping at all. And it's going to come down to a guy just naturally celebrating because that's what he's done all of his life. After a big stop on third and seven, he's going to get flagged. uh, He's going to give up a first down and somebody's going to be upset and it's probably going to be a Saints fan. Yeah, it's awful. I mean, I don't want to see a player celebrate a touchdown and then have to wait a minute while refs discuss about what flag was thrown and then it gets delayed and like the game flow gets all messed up. Like get, get the refs out of the sport as much as possible for game flow issues. Like we're losing kids to like Twitch streams. These kids are just on like endless dopamine runs and we're causing the game flow to like get worse in football. Like this is, this is bad for the sport guys. This is bad for the sport in general. And I don't know why they have these competition committees and, and meetings and stuff. And the answer seems to always 
come out of it being let's slow the game down. Let, let, let's make it less fun. It, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. There's no way it's going it, to make the game better. If it at better. least were for advertising money, I would understand what the game is, right? Yeah. The shots of the referee looking at the Microsoft Surface tablet, I don't understand why that ma- that does not make the sport go. Like, that is bad. We got to get that out of the game. Get it out now. Yes. G- generally in sports and just really in our entire culture, we want everything as fast as we can possibly consume it. So slowing the game down does not benefit anybody, not the players or the viewers. So it, it just seems like a bad idea. Uh, we do have to take a quick time out, uh, but when we get back, got some tips for Joe Judge during the crash course. <laughs> Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. I have some exciting news for you, class. Your time starts now. NFL. Crash course? This doesn't happen very often. You're going to enjoy this one. Welcome back into NFL University. I'm Steven Serta of Arrowhead Pride, joined by Kyle Posey of Niners Nation, as well as Justice Mosqueda of Acme Packing Co. We talked about our guy Joe Judge last week. Um, since then, he's had three NFL players retire, veterans who were just like, ah, oh, we're not messing with this camp anymore. We're not doing gassers. This isn't high school, Joe. You don't tell us what to do that way. There's got to be a level of respect. How is Joe Judge doing? Like, how does he not get this concept yet that we're all professionals, that we have working relationships? We don't have to listen to you in the way that you think that we're like children looking up to an adult. We're all adults here in this room. So what are we doing, Joe? When he was hired, was he asked these questions? Like, I'm going to be <laughs> tough. I'm going to be a high school coach. And I don't care what these guys say. We're going to do it my way or we're going to get them out of here. 
Well, Joe, as you've seen through the first two weeks of training camp, they're going to get out of here because nobody responds to that type of coaching. This is not the 1970s. I have no idea where he gets this from. Well, that's where he gets it from. But you have to evolve, man. You have to um, humanize the sport. And he's just not doing that at all. It, he's so stuck in his ways. And it's going to cost. Well, it's already costing them. But who knows, man, if they struggle and he keeps up this type of tone that he has there, he's not going to last. Very I think one of the things people don't understand about these jobs, the foundation isn't right. There's a level of urgency as a head coach or a general manager when you come in where your job isn't really to like week to week manage a football team like it has already been built, right? What you're trying to do is you're trying to build that foundation high enough that when the roof collapses from what the guy did before you, that there's something sturdy there that you can then push forward and keep building on top of that, if that makes any sort of sense. So when you look at like, so Brian Dayball is a great example, right? Brian Dayball looking at what the coaching vacancies were once the Chargers gig got taken, um, he no longer considered Houston. He no longer considered Philadelphia, right? Because those roofs, those roofs were about to collapse. When you look at like Joe Judge and comparing him with like a Dan Campbell, and that was a good point about like you have to evolve. Dan Campbell is not running Oklahoma drills in Detroit right now. That's not what he's doing. If you're going to be like the hyper motivational type of guy, and Robert Salah is another great example of this. Like dudes in San Francisco, dudes in Seattle, they're like Robert Salah, like he was my dude. You know what I mean? Like you have to – to a certain extent, that job, if you're going to be that hyper energy coach and kind of take that approach, all right, he rallied the troops for that one year, and maybe that's what we needed in 2021, but is this the guy that we want to continue to build that foundation moving forward? Joe Judge, it seems like he's getting backlash on that, and I don't think that anyone is saying, like, Joe Judge, that's my dude, the same way that, like, Robert Salah or potentially Dan Campbell is getting said. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's the real difference. When there's pushback on what you're trying to develop. That's when you have to evolve. And I think Dan Campbell did a solid job of that moving forward, like way different than what he was in Miami, but like Joe judge, man, what the hell is going on? Guys are dropping off of your team constantly. <laughs> like we're, we're getting one of these a week, you know? <laughs> I feel like I owe Dan Campbell an apology because when he had that you know, first press conference, biting kneecaps or, or doing whatever. I was like, this guy's going to be a disaster. And since then, he's like endeared himself to the media. And it seems like he's a fun coach to be around. Like players enjoy it. Like, yeah, he's got that kind of crazy mentality, but it's like, I'll do anything I'm asking you guys to do. Like there's a level of respect between him and his players that I'm going to do everything that I ask you guys to do because we're peers in this situation. We're co-workers. We're all working towards the same goal, and we're trying to win football games. Joe Judge has kind of got that. I mean, Matt Patricia was kind of that way in Detroit, and it did not work out. And it did not work right. out from day one for Matt Patricia. Right. His None not, of those Lions dudes yeah. were saying, Matt Patricia, that's my dude. Yeah. Like that's, that's what you need in year one. Right. If you're going to be that guy, you need that in year one, you know, and Joe Judge didn't get that in year one. And it looks like he's not getting that in year two, you know, so that that's where I think there's the disconnect. And you can start seeing these these things sputter. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's falling apart fast and they've invested a lot of money 
into that roster to try to be competitive and, and try to see if Daniel Jones is legitimately their franchise quarterback or not. But that type of coach, I, I just don't understand how if you're an NFL general manager, if you're an owner, how we keep coming back to that same type of coach across the league. Like there's always a pool of candidates. Eric Bieniemy is a very well-respected offensive coordinator here in Kansas City who's been up for head coaching jobs the past couple of years and still hasn't gotten it. And every player advocates for Eric Bieniemy to become a head coach. Every player in that Chiefs locker room absolutely loves Eric Bieniemy, and they all agree that he would be a great head coach because he knows how to treat his players. He knows how to how to get their respect, and he knows how to show them that, like, I'm not above you, we're all in this together. And I don't understand how we keep coming back to the same conclusion across the NFL in some of these situations. Like, it's just proven that it doesn't work, so stop doing it. I I just don't think the decision makers, like, especially ownership, like, you have to remember a lot of these guys aren't, one of the reasons they hire consulting firms is because they really don't know anything about football, Right. I mean, they're making billions of dollars in, in other industries. I mean, it's perfectly reasonable. Like, I wouldn't expect, you know, if Jeff Bezos bought the Washington football team, I wouldn't expect him to know what to hire as a head coach or general manager. Like, that's not what he's been doing at Amazon. You know what I mean? So there's a reason why consulting firms exist. But one thing was that Joe Judge wasn't really on the NFL head coaching radar, you know? I mean, we were talking about him maybe taking over Mississippi State, and even then he seemed like a dark horse candidate for that because he's an alum, you know? So that that was kind of – it was an interesting kind of off-the-radar hire in the first place in that I don't think people in the league talked about Joe Judge as like, yeah, he's a ascending head coaching candidate. How long does Joe Judge last? Why would you not fire him when you fire Gil? And could that be the end of the year? Because I think that's perfectly reasonable to fire Gettleman at the, at this point. Yeah, I don't, if the, I don't think if he... the Giants can't if the Giants can't do better than like six and ten or whatever six and eleven now, Sounds you know, at the end of this year, I I don't see why you would need to bring Gettleman back. And if you're cleaning house, you might as well clean house. Oh, and for a team that has uh, a, a better than most people realize defense and improving defense, that a secondary that was actually really good last season. They should be primed and ready to win some more football games after all the investment that they've done in the roster over the offseason. But nothing about the Giants makes you confident that this team is going to go win like 10 games. And so it feels like they put all this money in to have this be a year where we're going for it this year. And it has 5-12 and 12 written all over it and blow the whole thing up at the end of the season. So does Danny Dimes, does he get another year of – because uh judge is a scapegoat like what happens there probably because that's what I, nfl teams do yeah right. i think i think that comes down to like who's available um in the quarterback market but like if you look at his numbers i mean he might have had a worse year last year than he did his rookie year you know he basically had as many picks as touchdowns last year and i know saquon's hurt that impacts a lot of things um as much as the you know running backs don't matter crowd like to like to preach their gospel, but Saquon not being there probably mattered. Um, so I think that there's potential for the plug to get pulled. Like if Daniel Jones has more interceptions than touchdowns this year, yeah, I I, I think he could be basically viewed as like how is he different than not necessarily skill set wise, but like caliber 
than like Gardner Minshew, right? Where he's like, hey, he's a backup quarterback. Maybe if someone gets hurt, you trade him and he competes for a starting job. But that's kind of what it is. Yeah, it just feels like it's it's all destined to, to blow up there for the New York Giants. It just doesn't work in the modern day NFL, Joe Judge. We're, we're trying to help you out, man. You got to change the style up a little bit. Obviously, the players don't like you very much, but uh, we really appreciate you guys listening to this edition of NFL University. Please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review all of the incredible content that we are doing on the SB Nation NFL show. Just rolled out the new lineup. We're going Sunday to Friday this season. We've got stuff each and every single day. Make sure you follow Justice on Twitter at J-U-M-O-S-Q. And make sure you're following KP at KP underscore show on Twitter. I'm Steven Serta. Thank you guys so much. We'll talk to you next week. to do's less time and an infinite number of tools to keep track of sometimes doing business has never felt harder but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals you can just use hubspot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier imagine this high quality leads fast closing deals wildly happy customers and more benchmark breaking quarters it's not a miracle it's hubspot visit hubspot.com to get started today